Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. There are many different paths you can take. But there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special draft day episode of The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com, where I've been for some number of seasons. Uh, frankly, time has lost all has lost all meaning to me. Uh, it is currently 11 p.m. on Sunday night. We just finished round one of the 2021 MLB draft. We are here to give you kind of a. It's going to be this is going to be. I'm going to go ahead and tell you now. This is going to be a bit of a shorter po- podcast. We are just going to be reviewing. The uh, picks that the Braves made, uh, the Braves obviously picked the right-handed pitcher out of Wake Forest, Ryan Cusick, with the 24th overall pick tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about him. Uh, the original plan was for us to talk about the Ronald Acuna Jr. injury because there wasn't a plan to do the Talking Chop podcast this week, or at least not for a few days. However, Brad uh, managed to sneak in an episode this morning that kind of gave a general update of kind of what the thoughts process is and what, the, what that, that injury means. So fear not, you don't have to relive that kind of whole uh, egregious and frankly, terrible injury to Ronald Acuna Jr. Hope he ends up uh, feeling better soon. But joining me is our, uh, I guess our draft maestro is what we should call you, Matt. Uh, Matt Powers is joining me tonight to talk a little bit about the pick that the Braves made, how the draft went, and kind of get our thoughts going into tomorrow. Matt, how are you, my man? It is important. I I am good. Uh, It's on mute there, but... uh, yeah, I'm good. I mean, the draft has finally started. It didn't really go exactly as I had hoped, obviously. But uh, we, after waiting for what seemed like forever since last year's shortened draft, we finally have somebody new in the system to talk about. Absolutely. And it's it was certainly a strange first round, I will say. Uh, we saw some players take some really precipitous falls uh, during the course of the first round. The first 10 picks were kind of in these crazy wild orders, a few strange picks. Um, what, what was the pick that surprised you the most in the first round? Because I'm pr- pretty sure the answer to that is that Frank Mazzucato fit, pick in the t- at, at number seven to the Royals. I mean, are we kind of on the same page there? I'm not sure how that should classify it. The most surprising pick to go where they did might be him. 
But the pick that surprised me the most overall was how far down Khalil Watson dropped. I, I just could not believe that guy that good dropped that far down and went behind so many other players that had no business being taken above him talent-wise. I mean, this is the guy I had as number three on my personal rankings, and other people had ranked as high as number one on theirs. So when you see a guy like that drop to number 16 in a draft where there's really only maybe 10 tier one guys at most, it's shocking. It was definitely shocking, and it was pretty clear that there was there's was something going on with Watson. You know, in his interview, he made it sound like he felt like he was being undervalued by the teams that were supposed to be picking him up higher, uh, and he seemed like he had a dollar figure in mind that he wanted. Um, you know, and there's any number of reasons why you can you might think that you know a guy could fall that whether it was money, whether there was you know a health issue, whether there was you know some issues about. You know, whether or not he had character concerns or what have you, they're, they're, we don't know that information yet. We just don't have it. Um, and it was fascinating. Everyone just said, like, you know, you kept trying to think of landing spots for him because, you know, again, like when we're kind of, we're thinking about this as a Braves podcast, we're thinking, hey, you know, like, is he going to end up, you know, with the Mets? Is he going to end up with Nationals? Is he going to end up with the Phillies? He dropped past all of the, all of those teams and he ends up going to the Marlins. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see kind of what their rest of their drafts going to end up looking like because it's basically, I got the impression that it was either going to be like it's going to have to be like Khalil Watson, and then they're going to have to go under slot the rest of the way because he's not going to be particularly cheap. And that's kind of the impression I got well, from the interview on the Nair and all that stuff. I wouldn't say that because they took Joe Mack with their uh, second pick the first round. Well, so. that, now, that's that's true. I guess maybe I guess maybe those two picks, and that's fair because I forgot that they had the extra pick. Um, but my point being is that he he is going to be pricey there, right? Um, and as a result, like maybe I'm, I guess I'm more speaking to like day two and day three. Does that make sense? Like they, they pick those two guys and then they go, okay, well, that's just going to have to be what our draft class is going to be this year. And that's two, and two very highly regarded prep bats, by the way. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you talked a good bit about Khalil Watson and Joe Mack is like a really, really good hitting catcher, uh, catching prospect out of high school in New York. And I, I, I think the Marlins did really well for themselves. Overall, I think that this first round was a, Again, there was a lot of really surprising, like, you know, seeing how far Jordan Lawler went. He ended up going six overall to the Diamondbacks. Um, but by the time the Braves picked at 24, I would say that most of the names that we thought were going to be gone ended up being gone. Now, it was kind of painful for us is that where some of those names that end up being gone getting picked. Because, uh, I mean, like, we were talking about it in the, the chat quite a bit. But, I mean, like, in two of the last three picks before the Braves were Jordan Wicks and Gavin Williams, and I mean, I think it's safe to say that we would have been happy, like, extremely happy with either of those picks. Uh, did you have kind of a preference between those two guys, or? Well, heading into the draft, I mean, I was definitely all on Gavin Williams, because I really didn't think we had any chance to see Jordan Wicks fall that far. I had assumed he was a near lock to go top 15, top 16, but weird things happened, and he dropped. So I... Around the 20th pick or so, I started to really hope that he would fall. Obviously, that didn't last long because he went, like, right after that. But um, he was definitely higher on my board, and he was in my second tier of players available in this entire draft, which really only went to 16. He was my 16th-ranked player, personally. So, I, I mean, I would have loved to have gotten him personally. Absolutely. You know, like... I, I, 
like a really good lefty college pitcher that like all of a sudden he has a great changeup and we're thinking, wow, the Braves might actually have a shot at a guy that they frankly shouldn't have had any business getting. Um, and Gavin Williams, the hard throwing uh, righty, or I'm sorry, the the well, the, the hard throwing pitcher out of East Carolina who you know has a fastball that was touching 100 miles an hour and we really liked him. You know, had some injury concerns. You know, had like command issues in the past, but he was kind of a guy that had been mocked to the Braves repeatedly. Was a guy that seemed like that the Braves were really into, and he goes the one pick before the Braves pick. Again, pretty brutal. The three of the really three of the last four picks before the Braves were Trey Sweeney, who I think was the bat of the realistic options, especially amongst college bats anyway, that we thought was going to be realistically available. Um, and then we have. Jordan Wicks and Gavin Williams go. Colson Montgomery, uh, that was a guy that seemed like he was just like mocked to the White Sox forever and was just going to go to the White Sox regardless of what happened. Um, and again, like the orders of some of these guys picking, I mean, like Michael McGreevy going 18 to the Cardinals before all these pitchers that we just talked about was, was pretty surprising to me. Uh, I'm, I still don't understand. I mean, I, I like Will Bednar fine, but him going, and we knew that both the Braves liked him and that he wasn't going to be there, but I, the Giants taking him at 14 felt really high to me what do you think yeah yeah i wasn't not expecting that at all to go that high even though i'd heard rumors that he was in play from about 11 on down to 20 but i i didn't love the pick i wouldn't have i would have i guess taken him if the braves took him at 24 but i wouldn't have loved him as the pick at 24 and he went 10 picks higher than that he just has a reliever profile to me, even though he's got some chance to start. So it's not a profile you love, especially in the top half of the first round. Uh, I, I definitely agree with that. I think there's certainly some reliever risk to him. I mean, you know, like the people, the, the people that believe in Bednar believe that he actually has a good changeup. He just doesn't throw it, and they think that he ends up being a starter. And obviously, all those winning characteristics that run to the College World Series—that was no joke. He like that's like a legitimate big time performance. Then I don't want to diminish that. And there's a lot of intangibles that go with Bednar in terms of just who he is as a person and as a player that like teams can and should value, right? Like that's not like something that I necessarily want to discount. Um, another bit that was a bit of a surprise, Matt McClain dropping all the way down to the Cincinnati Reds, which seemed like a place where Bubba Chandler was going to be able to be, possibly land. He ends up not getting taken at all on day one, which I think basically means he's heading to school. He's going to Clemson. I don't think that there's, unless there's a team with a bunch of money that ends up throwing a bunch of money at him in round two, which I, and again, we'll kind of talk a little bit about the Braves pick here. I do not believe that's going to be the Braves unless something shocking happens. But again, like that was a place where I like I really thought that maybe Bubble Chandler was going to land, but Matt McLean, a, a highly regarded shortstop out of UCLA, he goes that far down. So then it gets down to the Braves pick, and we have you know basically a pick of several high school type uh, bats that again Matt's been pretty high on both the bats and the arms in this kind of general range. And instead what the Braves do, they don't go with the Kai Bush underslot play, which was something that was highly, like, heavily rumored to be the Braves, like, choice to, of preference on draft day. He was, at, like, the last minute mocks were all saying the Braves are going to take St. Mary's, Kai Bush, and probably do an underslot deal there and then try to make a deal in the next, make a deal for something in the next round. Instead, what happens is that they take Wake Forest, a Wake Forest pitcher again, by the way, back-to-back years after taking Jared Schuster last year, Ryan Cusick, who, you know, 
we can meme a little bit of size. You know, this is just another Wake Forest picture, but they're very different pitchers. Uh, you know, in Schuster's case, he's a guy that had a really good changeup. You know, fastballs, you know, fastballs okay, but he kind of pitches off that changeup to where that's kind of changing pace sort of pitcher. Comes from that Wake Forest pitching lab, though, which the Braves seem to really love the data they can get from that, and they really seem to like what the Wake Forest guys are doing. But in Cusick's case, he's a guy that throws triple digits, has an improved breaking ball. After that, it's, you know, is the changeup even is the change is the changeup something he's even going to be able to throw later on? Is he going to continue to improve his command? Talk to us a little bit and introduce introduce us a little bit to Ryan Cusick. So obviously, the thing with Cusick that stands out is the fastball. I mean, it has reportedly touched whether it's one hundred one or one hundred two. There's varying reports on that, but is there? I mean, all the yeah, there is. I think it was actually uh, DOB who had something out tonight in an interview where Dana Brown said it's been 101 as the highest he said, but multiple other sources have said it's a 102. So is there a high? Is there a harder throwing like starting pitcher in college baseball right now, like for this class? In this class, no. Uh, but th- there are others that can hit 101. Um, one of them would have been. Williams, Gavin Williams, obviously, and then the right. uh, local product out of the Florida Juco, Dylan Ross, who also was not taken yet, uh, but m- might not be signable going forward or at least much longer. Uh, he's another guy that has the potential to even hit 102 in the future, maybe. Huge arm, huge kid, obviously, which you really have to be to be hitting that kind of velocity. But I don't really think there's a ton of difference between 101 and 102 if you think about it. I mean, once you're well, over yeah, triple yeah, right. digits, at, it's... At that point, it's a blur, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously the draw with a guy like Cusick. Uh, the breaking ball has definitely made some improvements. It's a pitch that it's just not consistent, uh, both in its shape and the way it moves. So... It's hard to really grade that because at times it, it has flashed as a plus pitch, but at times it looks below average. So what you're kind of projecting there is maybe it develops into an above average pitch, maybe more of an average pitch. I mean, it, it's still got quite a bit of work left to go to refine what it is, but it it will get swings and misses and could probably get more depending on the development of that. And going to a pro system should obviously help that since he'll be able to spend more time with pro coaching. Uh, that's definitely going to be one of the smaller keys to his development because he can get swings and misses with it as is at this point, at least against college hitter competition. Uh, the two things that are really going to need some work are the changeup which projects as a below average to fringe average pitch. And it it not only is not a very good slash consistent pitch, it's a pitch he basically doesn't use. So it it needs significant, significant development just to be able to, for him to be a starter because otherwise you're looking at a two-pitch guy, which in this day and age just does not cut it for a big league starter at either as a one, two, three, four, or a five starter. So that's going to be one of the major keys to his development. 
And then obviously the other one, the biggest one probably is going to be the command because whether he develops that third pitch or not without improved command, there's a chance he completely flames out before even reaching the big leagues. And that could even be in a relief role without better command. I mean, this is a guy who, if you look at his walks per nine innings to give you a better idea, 4.0, 7.3. Obviously, the 7.3 came in last year's four-start sample size, so not going to read too much into that. And then 4.1 this year. But those numbers don't seem particularly awful, even though they're on the higher end. But his whip kind of gives it away a little bit more if you're just looking at stat lines. I mean, in 2019, when he threw 66 innings, he had a 174 whip with the 11.6 hits per nine innings because of the command. So even though he only walked 4.0 per nine, he was getting hit all over the place because he wasn't able to consistently land his pitches at all. Then last year, he had that 7.3. He had a uh, 1.84 whip, which obviously is atrocious. Obviously, also, small sample size of just 22.1 innings. This year, he moved up to 70 innings and had the 4.1. The whip was still very high for the college game at a 1.39. So, yeah, he's definitely made improvement, especially since 2019. And I guess you could say a little bit over the 2020 since you're taking a small sample size in the 2020. But he just really, really needs to work on that command. And he has shown flashes of better command, particularly in the 2019 Cape Cod League and the 2019 fall ball. I think there was a bit more that was expected out of him last year going into the season, obviously before COVID and the shutdown because of how good he looked with Bourne in the Cape Cod League and then in fall ball that year. But it just didn't really work out even though he he had the four starts. And this year, it, it took a little step forward, uh, but not quite what you had hoped it would be based off of what you were thinking, at least at the end of the 2019 fall season. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, the future of work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, the, the, the parallels to, like, Schuster last year are actually kind of funny. Like, you know, a guy that, like, you know, puts up a good performance in the Cape Cod League, uh, doesn't play, doesn't play very much because of co- the COVID shutdown, uh, you know, ends up being taken by the Braves basically around the same spot <laughs> in back-to-back drafts. I mean, obviously slightly different situations and definitely really different pitchers. Uh, the, the real risk here, and, you know, you've hit on it multiple times, is that he ends up as a reliever because right now he's a two-pitch guy. And, you know, if we're just being honest, it seems like what's likely it's going to happen is that for a while, to start with as a pro, he's going to be throwing that fastball a whole ton. 
Um, it's already been like talked about that, you know, like when he debuts as a pro this year, like he might start off as a reliever just to kind of give him time to work on things, manage his innings a bit just to kind of maybe not have him throw too much, but maybe be able to start him at a higher level potentially. That seems to make a certain amount of sense to me. But again, you know, with a live arm like this, I, I understand the, the rationale. It's that, you know, there's just not that many starters that throw as hard as this guy throws that are also starters. I mean, there's just not that many guys that throw that hard, period. But, you know, when you have a guy who could potentially start, and if you think you can teach him a changeup, and if you think you can improve the breaking ball and just his command overall, and again, there's reasons to think that he can improve, and maybe that the Braves think they have something with him that they know that they can fix and they can change and that they can coach. That maybe that they can get some, they can get something really special out of this pick. And the, the trouble here is that, you know, the hope is that when you have a first round pick, you get a guy who's just gonna like, you know, not have warts, right? Like it's just, and, and in this particular case, when you're picking 24, you're like, there's only five picks after the first round, you know, not including like comp picks and things like that. There's only five teams below you in the draft just because the play, the Braves played really well last year. And as a result, you know, there's gonna be, you're gonna get a guy that has some amount of questions and, you know, those questions vary from player to player. But in Cusick's case, the risk here is that he ends up as a reliever. Um, certainly a high-risk college arm to take because, there, like you mentioned, with his profile, there is a a chance that he just flames out completely. Like he just all of a sudden doesn't have command at all. And, you know, he's just a guy who can throw 101 and, can, and you know, is likely to take someone's head off in a game. But I, I didn't – as the picks were unfolding, before, I, there are certainly guys that I would have preferred over Cusick, and I'll give you a chance to kind of mention a few guys that were actually taken after Cusick. And like, I'll just give you like just name like two or three that you would have preferred that were either taken before Cusick or maybe even that you would that or haven't been taken at all yet that you would have taken. But you know, like when you when you start seeing like Trey Sweeney and and Jordan Wicks and Gavin Williams coming off the board, McGreevy's already gone, who's a guy that was mocked to the Draves heavily. I was a bit surprised that. Once it got to that pick, and that there was a pretty clear connection in at least some mocks of the Braves to Bubba Chandler that the Braves didn't end up popping him. And so when they pick Cusick and then they don't pick Bush and they don't pick Bubba Chandler, it was a bit of a surprise. But I think that that means that they really do think with this guy that there is a chance for them to reach, you know, there's certainly risk, but there's certainly some reward here that you would, you know, you generally don't find starting pitchers that can throw this hard, this far down in the draft. And if you pick that guy, you think that you can fix him, I guess is the short version of the story. And again, now there's certainly guys that were picked ahead of him. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan, I'm a big fan of the other Max Muncie that the A's end up taking one pick after. Uh, I like Tyler Whitaker was a guy who you've been on forever. Uh, he certainly would have been a really interesting pick. Joe Mack was another guy that I, we seem to really like. Lonnie White Jr. is still on the board, and we think that maybe is a potential option when we talk about this as a possible underslot pick. But and maybe he's a, in play in the second round. But there, there's certainly guys I probably would have preferred over him. But I understand the rationale of the pick, and there's real upside with him. So uh, tell, tell me about a few guys that maybe like we're taking after him that you maybe would have preferred instead of them picking Cusick. So if I was the one making the picks for the Braves, the guy I definitely would have taken would have been a guy who wasn't taken yet, Tyler Whitaker, who just has maybe the best combination of tools, makeup, work ethic of anyone around this area in the draft. I mean, three legitimately plus two plus plus tools in the 
uh, power, the arm, and the speed. And he's shown improved ability to hit the ball. So that personally would have been my pick because I think he could have been a weapon both defensively and with the bat and on the bases. So a guy like that is hard to pass up. Another guy who went undrafted and uh, probably should go really early tomorrow would be Anthony Salamato, the prep lefty with a very interesting fastball. Only mid-90s, but it's got just crazy movement on it. It's very hard for hitters to pick up. I watched him up in Boston at the Future Star Series, and he was against multiple guys who were either drafted today, will be drafted, or uh, are going to end up being significant players at high major programs, and those guys were just clueless against Salamato. So that's definitely a guy that I would have taken. Uh, another guy who I really loved as well would have been Muncie, as you said, uh, Padres pick Jackson Merrill, the pop-up helium shortstop with really interesting tools, would have been a very nice fit. I liked Joe Mack. And if the Braves were dead set on taking a college pitcher with a fairly questionable starting profile, I mean, Ty Madden was the better prospect to me. And I think they have a, Madden might even have a better chance at starting. So he's definitely a guy that I think most people see as, I mean, I'm, I definitely see him as the better prospect, and I think most others agree with me on that, though not everybody. I think uh, one of the sites actually ranked Cusick in the top 15 overall in this draft, which I didn't quite understand, but uh, so there are people that are bigger fans of Cusick than Madden overall, but uh, I would have definitely gone with the guy that I think has a slightly better chance at starting. Yeah, in Madden's case, he was a guy that actually took a really precipitous fall, too. Like, he was a chance to be, like, a top 14 pick in this draft, and instead he, like, gets drafted, like, way down in the draft, all the way into the comp round, uh, which, again, was a big surprise. When it, I'm trying to remember what pick he ended up going. I think it was... Uh, 32 to Detroit. And I never yeah. really understood why he was mocked as high as he was. I mean, I liked Madden more, but I I never loved Madden, and I never really understood the hype around him where he was. I mean, for me personally, he only ranked 35 on my board, just to give you an idea of where I thought he really belonged in this draft because of the reliever risk that, I mean, pretty much everyone universally agrees that he has significant reliever risk to him. So it's a tough profile who... Maybe not a guy who truly fell as much as they were wrong about in previous mock drafts, but it was a slightly surprising slide for a college arm, especially when you see a guy like Bachman go in the top 10. Yeah, it was definitely, he he was, again, definitely kind of those weird cases where it just seemed like the mock drafts were just way off on him. Um I and I think that part of that too, and it was mentioned by on the broadcast a couple times, is that the it seemed like that the characteristics of his fastball, particularly his spin rate, just the analytically driven teams really didn't like him like that all that much. It wasn't even so much the reliever profile; it's just that they just didn't like what the fastball was long term in terms of like how it behaved and what its characteristics were. So we'll again we'll we'll see if that pans out. I mean, the, I mean, the, I'm sure the Tigers were happy to get a kind of a high quality arm like that where they got one, where they, where they got him and, you know, hopefully it works out, but there's definitely some questions about him kind of as the draft, as 
the first round of the draft went on. Um, so now we're going to get into the question of what does this pick mean? Because this is where we kind of talk a little bit about uh, slot values and whether that this is this was most certainly not an overslot pick. I think we're just going to go ahead and get that out of the way. They're not going to pay extra for the right to have Ryan Cusick play for their team. There are some first round picks, uh, notably Khalil Watson, that are probably going to have to be some overslot. Have to be a bit overslot to get done, but. In in the Braves' case, their the slot value for the twenty fourth overall pick was a little over two point eight million dollars. So my question to you is, and it, well, this is just a best guess. We don't know what numbers were agreed to. Is what do you think Cusick ends up signing for in terms of the amount and like, or how much under that amount do you think that the Braves could potentially save, if at all? So before I even get into that, since you actually just previously brought up something that was said on the broadcast, I just want to make the comment that we need to get Harold Reynolds removed from the broadcast. Oh, big true. Uh, big I, true. I mean, and comparing I'll... Jordan Wicks to Billy Wagner, I mean, even if you don't know Jordan Wicks, you've seen Billy Wagner as a Braves fan. That comp and then the Matt McClain to Nick Madrigal, I mean, these comps are just getting more absurd by the day with him. Well, by the year, I should say, but yeah. Look, Harold, he he was awful all night. <laughs> he was really bad. Uh, so big, big truth. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I meant, I, I actually meant to say something about that. Uh, his um his method of take breaking on the draft. There, there's a lot of good things about the MLB Network coverage, uh, and you know, like you know, I really love having seen Callis and Carlos Colazo and all those guys. Uh, some really Tim Corbin, all those guys were doing a really good job breaking down the guys. But it just felt like every time that Harold was on the screen, it just made the broadcast worse. And again, I, I completely agree, 100%. Uh, go, go on, talk to us a little bit about the slot. Oh, yeah, and the rest of the broadcast, I, I do want to say, uh, I mean, everybody else on the broadcast, especially Carlos and Callis and um, Corbin, great. Just my only issue with the broadcast would have been with Harold. So if anyone thinks I'm complaining about the rest of the broadcast, definitely not just Harold. Um, what a guy like Cusick can sign for, I think it's a safe bet to assume that he's under slot. Under slot does not mean a million under slot or more. It it could be as little as 100,000 under slot because uh, that's still under the slot value. So when I say under slot, I think some people just automatically assume he's going to sign for like a senior sign amount or something along those lines, which right. he's definitely not going to do. I'm thinking he's going to get a minimum, minimum of $2 million dollars. Out of that 2.8, uh, I think you're more likely to see him in the two to 2.5 million dollar range, saving somewhere between three to eight hundred thousand dollars. Probably closer to the three to four to five hundred thousand dollar range in total on him. Probably closer to the 2.5 than the 2.0 million, but I think that's kind of what you can expect out of a guy like Yusik. That seems like a, a decent range. I mean, like, again, we just, we don't know for sure. You know, we, we thought that, like, Braden Shoemaker was going to be an underslot pick. He ended up being a full slot guy. Uh, Shade Langoliers was obviously an underslot guy where he was picked up in the, when he was picked in the top 10. But this brings us to what's happening tomorrow. Uh, rounds two through 10 are what's happening tomorrow in day two of the draft. And the slot values are still in effect for those rounds. Through rounds 10, there's a slot value for each pick. At round two, the 59th overall pick is the next Braves pick is a slot value of $1.185 million. So given that we think that we might have saved some money with the Cusick pick, that plus this slot amount, 
you know, and again, it's possible that there are also the, the senior signs where you end up saving money with rounds like seven through ten. You know, just signing senior guys to you know basically no money whatsoever to save a little bit of money too. Where does that leave us with the Braves, and what do we think they could do realistically with that pick? I think they can still do a lot. Uh, not only are they most likely going to be saving money in the first round, but let's say they take uh, Lonnie White, who we have previously discussed and who's still out there on the board, who's probably going to cost two to two and a half million dollars. He's looking for first round money, I'm sure. I don't think he's signing for less to give up his commitment to Penn State as a Pennsylvania kid as a four-star wide receiver recruit to Penn State football. Those kids are not, I mean, it's just like an Alabama kid going to Alabama, Georgia kid going to Georgia. They're not giving that up for nothing. So he's definitely going to be looking for a decent amount of money. I think that you give him that full slot from his pick, the leftover money from Cusick, and then you probably have to maybe go with the senior sign in round three, maybe take a guy like Kevin Copps, the Arkansas reliever, in round three for next to nothing, maybe $100,000, which is a high-end amount for a senior sign. But uh, you can start to piece together a two to $2.5 million bonus for a guy like Alani White by taking all the money from round three, basically, and a little bit of that money from round one and giving it to that $1.1 million slot value that was already there in round two. Who are a couple other, like, over-slot targets for that pick? So another guy that I would really obviously love would probably end up being a guy like Tyler Whitaker. I don't really think he falls that far, but as long as he's out there on the board, he's a guy that I would love to have. A guy that I really like, uh, James Triantos, a shortstop from high school. I think he's got a real potential as a hitter, a little underscouted because he was actually a fairly late reclassification into this class from the 2022 class. So he wasn't really looked at all summer until he reclassified late in the summer, early in the fall, depending on what the time frame of that actually was, since dates really all run together at this point. Um, he's a guy I think the Braves might be interested in. Uh, a couple other guys, that two other guys I really think our strong candidates are um, Malachi Knight, the Washington State prep outfielder, really toolsy kid. Braves have been looking at toolsy prep outfielders in this class specifically, and I know that he is definitely one of them that they've been looking at, so he's a guy that fits. And uh, the other one is a Mississippi high school two-way guy in Braden Montgomery, and the Braves have had quite a bit of luck with their uh, high school two-way guys that they draft and convert to hitting. Uh, I'm not sure that they would take Braden Montgomery as a hitter because I think in general teams might start to prefer him as a pitcher at this point, but that could really go either way. But the Braves have had success with guys of that type as they move them from two-way to focus on just one end. So I think just based on his profile and the success the Braves have had with two-way guys converting him into one-way guys, he would definitely be among the guys that they could have interested in, along with some other guys that we've heard that they could be interested in on day two, like uh, Jacob Walsh, uh, overslot guy. He wouldn't be in the second round, but uh, he could get a little money later on day two. 
Yep, I think that those are some actually some really good names to kind of mention. Uh, if we're not looking at overslot options, I just want to mention a couple names. Uh, Kai Bush is a guy that was right, was connected to the Braves as an underslot option in the first round. And again, it's a guy that's been kind of connected to the Braves pretty consistently over the course of the draft process. And maybe he's a guy that they look at as like a non-overslot option in round two. Uh, same thing for goes with like the Spencer's swelling box of the world. Uh, I think it's fair to say that it's unlikely that those guys are available when the Braves pick uh, down there at 59, but just kind of some names that I wanted to mention is that like we know that the Braves have at least been checking in on from time to time uh, and have been connected to them in mocks that haven't been picked yet. Uh, again, more likely that they get taken somewhere, you know, the in the you know top half of the first round or, or top half of the second round on day two, rather. So something to really think about. And one other thing to consider, too, here uh, for, just for our listeners is that the Braves have one of the lowest bonus, bonus pools in this draft. So one thing to think about, too, is like a lot of these guys that we talk about with overslot signings is that it's not just the Braves' willingness to go overslot to get them. It's that you have to get them past these teams that have a bunch of money. Now, a few of these teams, you know, in their, in their you know, competitive balance picks and the extra picks that they got, they spent their money going after some other guys, right? But we don't know if they've spent all their money and how much they're going to try to be bullies in round two. And round two is really going to set the, the tone for day two for the Braves. Because if they can get a guy to float down that they like, they think they can go over slot a bit and, and snag up, then it could actually be a really fun day. Uh, we've certainly, there's, they've certainly been connected to a, a wide range of really interesting players throughout the course of like those day two ta- type talents that I think, I think we're going to be really enjoy talking about tomorrow night. But overall, what's going to set the tone for what's, how day two is going to go is what, how the rest of these teams above them use the money that they have. And they just have that monetary advantage over the Braves to leverage that leverage that position and try to snag some of these guys. And again, maybe it's possible that, you know, some of the guys that the Braves have been targeting, they know that, you know, other teams aren't really in on, or, you know, they know that those other teams have deals with other players and maybe they have a plan in place. And again, we don't know for sure exactly how much Cusick went under slot, if he went under slot at all. So we might just be sitting here spinning our wheels for no reason. But it's something that we're certainly thinking about with this pick and it's a profile that it's not immediately go, hey, this guy's an almost full slot guy. Hey, he's an over slot guy. It seems like the most likely option is that he was an under slot guy. So that means that we could have some really interesting things to talk about tomorrow. Uh, I, I just want to say thanks to Matt for all the hard work he's been putting in the last few days. Uh, he's been, we, we, we have been grinding on the, on the, on the, on the back end and trying to make sure that we have, you know, Everything we can possibly have researched and getting everything covered and doing a lot of work. He did, This is his favorite part of the year, but it's also the part of the year that probably makes him the most tired. So I do want to say thank you to you, Matt. Uh, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners and all of our readers. The site had a really, really big day today. And, you know, the podcast has been getting a lot, a lot of support, you know, trying to get caught up on the draft. And, you know, we just appreciate all that support. And, you know, please make sure you tell your friends and your loved ones about the podcast and that they subscribe to the podcast. The Talking Chop podcast feed is on whatever podcast purveyor you you choose Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes. We're on all of them. Make sure you subscribe to that. You get this podcast as well as the Talking Chop podcast, which is our flagship program hosted by the great Brad Roland. We really appreciate you guys. We are going to be back tomorrow, which is why this is going to be a, a shorter podcast. We wanted to get a podcast out there to talk about the Braves' first-round pick, but we are going to be recapping day two tomorrow night. And on day three, we're going to recap – after day three, we're going to recap day three as well as kind of recap the overall draft class and give us kind of our general grades as to kind of how we think the Braves did. We thank you all so much, and until next time, we'll see you on the road.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.